0: And encouragement. It is my sincerest hope that the reflections that you will hear today on this broadcast will truly touch your heart and in a way show you that your life is worth living. Hello my dear friends and welcome to this week's edition of Bishop Sheen Presents. I'm your host, Al Smith, and I want to thank you for joining me for uh, this opportunity we have each week to learn our faith together and to uh, have a few laughs. And, um, you know, we live in a very serious world Mm -hmm. sometimes, and uh, we need a little bit of humor. And, uh, of course, who better to give us that humor than the venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. And so he'll talk today about the psychology of the Irish. And uh, we know of that good Irish humor that uh, Fulton Sheen was uh, known for. And so he'll share from his television series uh, back from the 1950s on the psychology of the Irish. And of course he'll teach us the faith when he gives us a catechism lesson on the sacrament of the sick. And so uh, lots on today's program. And so without further ado, may I present to you the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen as he gives a reflection titled, The Psychology of the Irish. Please enjoy.
1: Friends,
2: we received so many complaints after giving the psychology of the Russian people and saying nothing about the Irish, (laughs) that we decided tonight to say something about the Irish. Incidentally, there's no red light on the camera. Is it because of St. Patrick's Day and you're afraid to show red? I do not know where the camera is. (laughs) There ought to be a red light on one of these. There it is. Since we gave the psychology of the Russians, we will give tonight the psychology of the Irish and reduce their psychological patterns to three traits. First, this one, of course, will surprise you. And Blarney. (laughs) Now, first of all, the fighting. It is sometimes said that people fight because they hate. Really, it is just the contrary that is true. They fight because they love. And the more a man loves, the more he fights for what he loves. And since the Irish love their country and their God, they have more to fight for And then another peculiar characteristic of the Irish in their fighting is that they fight among
3: themselves.
2: (laughs) Uh, A little Jewish boy gets ahead, little A.B. Cohen, and all the good Jewish people say that's our A.B. But let Michael O'Rafferty get ahead, and all the Irish are knocking him down to the level. Now, why is it that the Irish want to fight so much? Possibly it's because that each and every one of them realizes that he's descended descendant of a king. And since he wore once a crown, why shouldn't he crown?
3: <laughs>
2: if his ancestors had a scepter, why not carry a shillelagh? But this quality of fighting is not really so important. What is much more important, actually, is the humor. Now, the amount of humor that anyone gets out of the world depends upon the size of the world in which he lives. Uh, this is any individual here, my, my man, the only kind of a man I can draw. I made it with thick ears tonight. And suppose he lives in the universe where there's only time. Obviously, there's not going to be a great reservoir of humor, but suppose he goes beyond time to eternity, beyond earth to heaven, from Broadway to the streets of gold, then he has an infinite reservoir from which to draw his humor, and that is where the Irish draw their humor. Let me give you some examples. One is how the fairies came to Ireland. You know, Ireland is people with fairies. No other people in the world seem to be interested in them except the Irish. And this is the origin of them. Uh, When Michael and Lucifer were having the great battle in heaven, Finally, the smoke of battle cleared away, and banked over against one of heaven's blue clouds was a whole host of angels that had been doing no fighting whatever. They were under the leadership of a certain King O'Connor. Now, it's difficult to believe that they were Irish angels and not in a fight, but that is the fact. The archangel Gabriel was the first to see them. And he went over to King O'Connor and he was furious. He said, almighty God has laid down a law that no one shall be crowned unless he has struggled. Here instead of defending the rights of God and saying, Quis secret deus, who is like unto God, you have rested on your archangelic spears. If hell were not filled, I should cast you into it. And St. Michael came up, the archangel, and said, Now listen, Gabriel, don't be too hard on them. After all, they have not denied God. They merely have not fought. And Gabriel said, Well, what can I do? An archangel can't change his mind. And I believe that's, that's theologically correct. So St. Michael said, I tell you what we will do. We're going to make the earth suit." And we will let King O'Connor and his angels make free wishes. So King O'Connor said, I want to go to a land where there's gaming and fishing and much sporting and much laughter. Granted, said Michael. Secondly, I want to go to a land where the people are poor. Granted. And thirdly, I want to go to a land where there are labor leaders and capitalists. Michael said, no, 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 no. You said you wanted to go where the people were poor. And so the gates of heaven were open, and King O'Connor and his angels fell for 326 days, and they landed in Ireland, and they are the fairies of Ireland. (laughs) And then associated with them are the little leprechauns. Now, a leprechaun, he's about three inches high. A little shoemaker fairy. And he hides in the bushes. And if you look him straight in the eye, you make him a prisoner. And to purchase his release, he will grant you any three wishes you want. But you may not tell anybody you saw the leprechaun. This particular day, Bridget O'Toole was on her way to Mass. And she looked in the hedges, and there was a leprechaun. But well, she wanted some help for the wishes, and she went home to Michael, and she said, Michael, if you could have anything in all the world that you wanted, what would you want? And there was a tinker going by selling lanterns. He said, I wish I had one of those lanterns. And lo and behold, the lantern walked into the home. And suspended itself over the fireplace. Well, Bridget was so mad that of all of the fine castles of the English lords that he might have had, that he should have chosen a silly, stupid lantern. She says, Glory be to God, I wish it were hanging from the end of your nose. (laughs) And of course, the lantern began to swing from the end of Michael's nose. And she had to use the third wish to get it off, and then there weren't any left. (laughs) And it's that, too, uh, that sense of the invisible and the eternal uh, that gives the Irish that fine sense of poetry. Take this lovely poem of Joseph Mary Plunkett. I see his blood upon the rose. And in the stars, the glory of his eyes, his body gleams amid eternal snows, his tears fall from the skies. I see his face in every flower. The thunder and the singing of the birds are but his voice and carven by his power. Rocks are his written words. All pathways by his feet are worn. His strong heart stirs the ever-beating sea. His crown of thorns is twined with every thorn His cross is every tree. I remember another occasion when I recited that poem. It was some years ago at the Eucharistic Congress in Ireland. And if there was ever a time in my life that I wanted to give a really fine oration, it was then. First of all, because it was a Eucharistic Congress. Secondly, because it was in Ireland, and thirdly, because my grandparents did not come from Bessarabia. (laughs) And I was talking uh, to this audience without any notes, and I knew it was about time when I decided to quote this poem of Joseph Mary Plunkett, which I knew very well. And just before I came to it, I threw out a line that struck me then. I said, uh, Ireland has never recognized any other king but Christ and no other queen but Mary. You can imagine how the Irish like that. And then I was to go into the poem. But instead of paying attention to what I was saying in the poem, I gave myself an intellectual spanking. All the while I was reciting, I was saying to myself, now no more cracks about kings and queens. (laughs) This, This is the Eucharistic Congress. And say nothing that can be misinterpreted politically. (laughs) No matter how bright you think you are, stay away from remarks of that kind. Do you know that I whipped myself so hard that when I got to the ninth line, all pathways by his feet are worn, my mind went a complete and total blank? I couldn't think of the last three lines. One of those blanks that you have at examination period in school, finality about it, there's no use of looking for it, it isn't there. And I stopped for a minute, what seemed like a minute, and I said to the audience, I'm sorry, I've forgotten. And I saw thousands of Irish jaws drop in disappointment. And when an Irish jaw drops, it collapses. It's funny what comes to your mind in moments like that when you forget. And what flashed across my mind then was the line of Patrick Henry. Not the ones that you know. <laughs> Patrick Henry also said something else in his life. He said, he said, when you're in difficulty in an oration, Throw yourself into the middle of a sentence and trust to God Almighty to get you to the other end. So I did. I said, I'm glad I forgot. Of course, I really wasn't. I didn't know how I was going to continue until I started over again. I said, if I had ever wished to have forgotten anything, if I had ever prayed to have forgotten anything, I should have prayed to have forgotten these lines of Joseph Mary Plunkett." I think there's beautiful symbolism in the forgetfulness. And that symbolism is that standing on the anvil of Ireland's soil, one should be able to hammer and forge out the sparks of his own poetry and not be dependent even upon a magnanimous soul like Joseph Mary (laughs) Plunkett. When I finished the, the oration, do you know what the chairman said to me? He said, Father Sheen, he says, that was a wonderful trick of oratory, Wonderful pretending that you forgot. (laughs) And that brings us to Blarney. You've been waiting for that. Now, I should make a distinction. The distinction is between... Blarney and baloney. (laughs) There's a world of difference between the two. Blarney is the varnished truth. Baloney is the unvarnished lie. Blarney is flattery, laid on so thin you love it. Baloney is flattery laid on so thick. You hate it. For example, to tell a woman who's forty you look like sixteen that's baloney. <laughs> the blarney way of saying it is, tell me how old you are. I should like to know at what age women are
3: most beautiful.
2: St. Patrick's Day, I saw an Irishman get up in the subway and give a seat to a lady, and she said, You're a jewel. And he said, Lady, I'm a jeweler. I set jewels. That's Blarney. And Blarney is always associated with imagination. And also with exaggeration, which seems a peculiar quality, too, of the Irish. Those of you who have ever been down to Killarney, you probably met one of the boatmen down there. I remember I asked him once, I said, is Killarney deep? Deep, he said. He said, I had a nephew that dove in there six months ago. We got a postcard from him in Australia last week. He wants his winter underwear. And I remember once being taken for a ride around the Killarney District by a Jarvi driver, and I arranged for a price before we started, and I said at the end, how much do I owe you? They never tell you. They never give you a direct answer. He said, oh, he said, I've got a wife and ten children. <laughs> so I gave him the bargain price, and what I thought was really a very good tip you know what he did? He took off his coat. He threw it over the horse's head. He says, Father, I'd be ashamed that the horse he had given me this. <laughs> I once had a resort to Blarney. I went to a concert one night some years ago at Carnegie Hall. It was a dual concert given by John McCormick and Grace Moore. And on the way in, I met Lily McCormick, Mrs. John McCormick. And she said, where are you seated? And I sat up in the balcony. She said, well, come down, sit in my box. So I went down, sat in the box. John came out, sang a few songs, looked up. Lily's wife, spotted me, and he said, Oh, he said, I see we have Father Sheen in the audience. Let's have him come down and say a few words to you tonight. Well, I had no more business being on the stage of Carnegie Hall at a musical concert than I had taken Phil Rosudo's place in the Yankee infield. (laughs) So I went down. What would you say on such an occasion? Well, I told the life story of John McCormick. You know, he was born in Athlone, and this is the way I told it. That some angels and fairies assisted God in the making of the babe of Athlone. And one of the angels went to the Shannon and stole from out its lilt. And the fairies went down to Killarney, where on one side of the road the sun shines, and on the other side it rains, like a child that smiles through its tears and makes human rainbows. And they carried the ray of sunshine and the tear back to Athlone. And on the way, the ray of sunshine was converted into a smile and the drop of rain into a tear. And the lilt and the smile and the tear were given to the babe of Athlone. And the angel who stood nearby said, Oh, if he only had a voice to articulate this lilt and this smile, And this tear. I shall go to heaven and ask God for a voice. And God said, Over there in that corner of heaven is a whole host of harps that have not been used since the day that Michael flashed his archangelic spears. Take from out one of those golden harps three golden cords freeing the throat of the babe of Athlone. And when the throat of the babe of Athlone had been strung with the golden cords from the golden harp of God, he cried. The angel said, Oh, how he will sing when he grows. The fairies said, No man ever sings without an inspiration for a song. The angels said, Well, what kind of inspiration do we want? Where can we find it? Suppose I search for a flower. And the fairies and the angels went down the east coast of of Ireland and up the west And finally they came to Dublin, where they found a beautiful lily, and he's been singing to her ever since. Therefore, these good people who have brought Larney and humor into the world have enriched us all. And I believe that on the last day, when the good Lord comes in the clouds of heaven to judge the living and the dead, that he will not show himself to all peoples in just exactly the same way I believe that every people will see him according to their own national and natural characteristics. I wonder when he comes if he will not seem to the Germans who love pomp and circumstance as the great king. And I wonder when he comes If he will not show himself to the Spaniards, who love the beauty of religion, with his face shining as the sun and his garments white as snow, and he will come to the people of India who love mortification, showing scars and hands and feet and sides, but to the Irish, he will show something he showed to no other people. He will show them his gratitude for their humor. He will show them his smile.
0: You are listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. I'm your host, Al Smith, and I want to thank you for joining me today to listen to a little bit of the wit and wisdom of the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Uh, people ask me all the time, what books should I order of Archbishop Sheen? <laughs> and I always say, well, order them in bunches. They're they're always good. You can never get enough of Archbishop Sheen. And we have a few good friends that have given us discounts to our Radio Maria listeners. Uh, for those who uh, enjoy, uh, again, Sheen's wisdom through the good folks at Sophia Institute Press. And um, they've got nine uh, Sheen titles in their lineup, uh, you can visit their website at sophiainstitute.com and uh, you can use the promo code SHEEN25 and receive a 25% discount f- of off any of the Sheen books or any of the titles that they carry. And so uh, there are as many, uh, I want to say hundreds and hundreds of books there at Sophia Institute Press. And use the promo code SHEEN25 at checkout to get your 25% discount. And our good friends at Tan Books uh, are offering us a 15% discount on any of their books, including some of their Sheen titles. And so you can visit them at tan.com, or I should say (laughs) tanbooks.com. But, you know, you can Google that and you'll find them. But, uh, again, hundreds, if not thousands, of books in their lineup and again the promo code sheen uh to receive the 15% discount so uh our good friends are passing on the savings to us radio maria listeners and so uh and and I have lots of books on amazon.com uh just google bishop sheen today and you'll find all the books that I've self-published on Amazon, and so uh, there, I just kept the price really, really low, so everyone can afford Sheen, so, okay, there's my three uh, top tip, tips today, Tan Books, Sophia Institute Press, and the good folks at Amazon.com, so all right, and it's just not Amazon.com, there's Amazon.ca, there's Amazon Australia, uh there's Amazon.uk, so Wherever you're listening, you can find some good Sheen books on Amazon. All right, we will now uh, have Archbishop Sheen give us his catechism lesson. And this came from a series he put together in 1965, uh, a 50-part series that uh, is still available today. Many people will Google the Sheen Catechism and download the mp3 recordings and have it for their own personal library so may i encourage you to do that in the near future and please feel free to uh, download or upload or transfer files um you know through our uh, many um, i want to say links that we have here at radio maria i know the good folks at radio maria usa have an archive of all the programs that we've had on the air for the last year and uh, good folks at Radio Maria Canada have over 300 uh, of the episodes that we've aired over the years there on their website too and you can download those and replay them at your convenience so uh it's always good to have Archbishop Sheen uh, on your many devices be it your cell phone uh, in your car or wherever you travel so Again, the uh, Radio Maria websites have, uh, again, the digital archives on the site that you can download, and you can always go to our website, bishopsheentoday.com, and of course you can find them there, so uh, lots going on. All right, we are now going to enjoy this catechism uh, lesson on the topic of the sacrament of the sick, and so I'd ask you just now to relax and enjoy uh, the wisdom of Archbishop Sheen, As he teaches us the faith.
1: Peace be to you. Shakespeare speaks of the ills the flesh is heir to. It is of those ills and sicknesses that we speak in the sacrament of extreme unction. The sacrament could also be called the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. First of all, as regards sickness itself, it does many things to us, not only physically but also psychologically. First of all, it cuts us off from many occasions of sin. The will to sin is certainly weakened by physical infirmity. Then, to sickness also manifests the uniqueness of our personality. We begin to realize that. I am I. Self is confronted with self. The soul sees itself as it really is. Sickness breaks the spell that pleasure is everything, that we ought to go on building bigger and bigger barns, and that life is worthless unless there is a thrill in it. It enables us also to readjust our sense of values. We begin to understand the words of our Lord. What doth it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his immortal soul? Then too it can end in death. There is a world of difference between the way the pagan faces death and the way the Christian does. The pagan fears the loss of the body. The Christian fears the loss of the soul. To the Christian, the physical life and the world are not everything. This world is only a scaffolding to him It is a scaffolding up through which souls climb to the kingdom of heaven. And when the last soul shall have climbed up through it, then it shall be torn down and burnt with fervent fire, not because it is base, but simply because it has done its work. And there's another difference between the pagan and the Christian as regards death. The Christian never feels that his whole being is threatened by death. The pagan does. The pagan is always moving forward toward death. Moving forward toward it. Like as if he were walking toward an abyss. The Christian is walking backwards from death. Well, how does he walk backwards? Because he starts with that fact. Someday I'm going to die. Someday I must render an account of my stewardship. Knowing that I will die, I now prepare my life so that it may enter the kingdom of heaven. The worst thing, therefore, that can happen to a Christian is not death. The greatest tragedy is not to have loved enough. There's no need of laboring these points. Sickness is very obvious, too obvious indeed. Our Lord was very much concerned about it. Let us now study the background of the sacrament that he instituted, the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. Many of the prophecies that were told about our blessed Lord revealed and heralded him as the healer of the sick. In countless places in the New Testament we read such phrases as these. I am quoting. Jesus went about teaching and preaching the kingdom of God and curing every kind of disease and infirmity. Then again we read in Luke, when our blessed Lord was at Genezareth, the scripture states, and they began bringing the sick to him, beds and all, wherever they heard he was. And they begged him to let them touch even the hem of his cloak. and all that touched him recovered. Like the Syrophoenician woman, remember? She said, if I but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be healed. The gospel does not tell us all the miracles of healing, but St. John's ends up his gospel by saying that if he had written down all of the miracles that our blessed Lord had worked, the world would not be large enough to contain the books thereof. The point is, therefore, our blessed Lord, as the Son of God made man, had the power to heal the sick. Now we come to the second point. He communicated that power to the apostles. After the resurrection, our blessed Lord sent his apostles into the world And here I am quoting the Gospel of Mark, where our blessed Lord said to his apostles, Lay hands upon the sick and make them recover. And again in the Gospel of Luke we read concerning the apostles, and this is a quotation, They worked cures everywhere. How did our Lord communicate this power? How did he tell the apostles to cure? He told them to do so by using oil because the gospel tells us and they anointed with oil many sick people and healed them. Our blessed Lord instituted the sacrament of the healing of the sick, or what is called extreme unction, passed it on to his church. And we find that the early church was using the sacrament just as we use it now. St. James, one of the apostles, writing in his epistle, speaks of this sacrament that had been instituted by our Lord. And he says, Is one of you sick? Let him send for the priests of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the Lord's name. Prayer offered in faith will restore the sick man and the Lord will give him relief. If he is guilty of sins, they will be pardoned. That is the earliest description that we have of the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. Now Notice that our blessed Lord told his apostles to use oil, just as our Lord in other sacraments used bread, and water. So in this he uses oil because naturally oil was used to strengthen the body. Athletes very often would rub their bodies with oil. And our Lord therefore used it as the matter of the sacrament. Where does this oil come from? It is blessed by the bishop on Holy Thursday. There are three kinds of oils that are blessed on that day. Now, this oil for the sacrament, this particular sacrament, is distributed to various parishes. During the year, the priests anoint the sick with that oil. When the bishop blesses and consecrates these oils, he says this particular prayer over the oil that is used in this sacrament. With this heavenly anointing, let none be medicined, but that he shall find protection within and without. Gone all pain and sickness, gone every ailment of soul and body. Should there not be a sacrament for the sick just as there is for the wounded? There's a world of difference between being wounded and being sick, between being cut by a knife, and having smallpox. Our blessed Lord has instituted a sacrament for our spiritual wounds, namely the sacrament of penance. So he has a sacrament for the sickness of the body, the body that is united to the soul, too incidentally. And the beauty of this sacrament is that though the grace is communicated to the soul, it influences the body in a very special way, not in the way in which the divine divinity of our blessed Lord influenced the humanity that he took from his blessed mother. No. But in some mysterious way, the results of the passion of our blessed Lord are poured through the soul into the body because you cannot think of any part of the body that has not been a vehicle of sin. This particular sacrament now wants to do away with all of the traces of that sin and thus in some way restore the body again to health if it be God's will. You cannot think of a single sin that did not come through the body. Not a one. Envy, that certainly came through the eyes. For example, you saw how much better the Joneses were doing. And you had to keep up with the Joneses. Pride, your ear might have been involved. Someone told you that you were very smart, or very beautiful. Drunkenness, adultery, robbery, blasphemy. All in some way involve the body that is the object of the sacrament. Even your feet, you walked into an occasion of sin. Even your nose. Your nose could have contributed to vanity. You may have smelled good cooking and ate too much. Then too considerable vanity could be involved in the use of perfume. Now, when a sin gets into the soul through the body, it always leaves a trace, very much like certain diseases. They leave little remembrances behind, not the kind of remembrances that we would like to have. Viruses have tails. Now, we're not speaking scientifically. But they do leave vestiges of themselves. That is why certain diseases are not contracted. To gain. And that is why also some diseases leave a very important trace and sometimes embarrassing trace, like smallpox. So does sin. Sin comes into the soul through the body and after a while the body becomes like a chimney in which there has been fire and smoke emitted from the hearth. The chimney becomes full of soot. Ships going through the ocean contract many barnacles. Sewers become clogged. You just cannot have sin pouring through the eyes and the ears and the nose and the feet and so forth, without these senses becoming clogged, sooty, dirty, barnacled. The church now purifies the avenues of sin, the eyes and the ears, the nose, the hands and the lips and the feet. And the purification takes place by the anointing with oil, and the words of the priest. Now this is what the priest says when he anoints your eyes. By this holy anointing and his most loving mercy, may the Lord forgive you whatever wrong you have done by the use of your sight. Amen. Amen. the priest anoints your ears. He says, by this holy anointing and his most loving mercy, may the Lord forgive you whatever wrong you have done by the use of your hearing. Amen. And the priest anoints the nose. By this holy anointing and his most loving mercy, may the Lord forgive you whatever wrong you have done by the use of the sense of smell. and your hands. By this holy anointing and his most loving mercy, may the Lord forgive you whatever wrong you have done by the use of your sense of touch. Amen. When the sacrament of extreme unction or the anointing of the sick is given to a priest, he is always anointed on the back of his hand. the laity are always anointed on the palm of their hands. The reason why the priest is anointed on the back of his hand is because the palm of his hand was anointed when he was ordained priest. Continuing the sacrament, we come to the lips. By this holy anointing and his most loving mercy, May the Lord forgive you whatever wrong you have done by the use of your sense of taste and the power of speech. Amen. Then he anoint your feet. By this holy anointing and his most loving mercy, may the Lord forgive you whatever wrong you have done by the use of your power of walking. Amen. Those are the words of the sacrament, not all the words, but the words that are used in the actual anointing. Now some remarks about it. First, this sacrament is given only in serious illness. The one who receives it must be in some danger of death through sickness. There need not be the certitude of death, no. But at any rate, there must be some danger. That is why the sacrament of the anointing of the sick may not be given to soldiers that are going into battle. They are in danger of death, but not from sickness. If they are wounded, then indeed they could be anointed. Secondly, this sacrament should not be delayed until the patient is unconscious and can no longer join in the prayers. It should be given while he can lift up his soul to the healing power of Christ who is refreshing his senses and his soul and his sins. Thirdly, the sacrament does not mean that the person is going to die. There are many who believe that just as soon as a priest is called to administer this particular sacrament, it means the patient is beyond hope. No, the Council of Trent refused to consider the sacrament of extreme only as a sacrament for the dying. The next point, and this is very important, In the administration of this sacrament there is no mention of death. None whatever. It is not necessarily the sacrament of the dying. It is the sacrament of the sick Here is the prayer that the priest recites after he has anointed the hands and feet and other members of the body. Now listen to this prayer. Note carefully that the word death is not used. Note also that the burden of the prayer is the restoration of the sick person. Cure we beseech thee, O our Redeemer, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, the ailments of this sick man, or woman as the case may be, heal his wounds and forgive his sins. Deliver him from all miseries of body and mind and mercifully restore him to perfect health inwardly and outwardly that having recovered by an act of kindness he may be able to take up his former duties thou who with the Father and the Holy Spirit liveth and reigneth God world without end Amen See from that prayer that though the sacrament is given at a critical time, it is more concerned with sickness than with death. That is the reason why the sacrament could just as well and possibly even better be called the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. Because when we receive it, grace, of course, is always received with the soul. But as we said before, we are a unit, a composite of body and soul. And here this sacrament has a very special repercussion upon the body. To use a very modern word, we might call it the psychosomatic sacrament. sacrament of body and soul. It looks to the healing of the body, not clinically, not just as a body, because the Church regards the body very differently than medicine. To the Church, the body is not just an organism, but it is also the temple of God the residence of divine life. That's why St. Paul says the body is for the Lord. Therefore, this sacrament looks to the body and seeks to give it relief in order that it will not impede the soul in its love of God. And our failure to see this is a failure to see the beauty of this sacrament. I wonder if we really bring to it all the faith that we should have. Did not St. James speak of the great faith that was demanded when the sacrament is received? Here it is the divine physician, who comes to us and we should look less to our disease than we look to him. Of course, the sickness does not preclude the possibility of death because we are all under the penalty of death. If we are in danger of death, then we receive the sacrament of the dying, which is viaticum. The viaticum is the Eucharist that is given to the dying. Viatic means on the way you take the Lord with you. If it be God's will that death be not postponed, then we see in the sacrament because our senses have been cleansed, first in incorporation to the death of Christ. We were baptized in his death. The Eucharist reminded us of its death. And now, we are incorporated in a very special way. We say with our Lord on the cross, it is finished. Our death is united to his. We are also united to his resurrection. This sacrament prefigures the anointing of future glory. It in some way applies the resurrection of the body in anticipation, applies it to our thoughts, to our desire. And we can go before God with all of the avenues of our body cleansed. As I once heard an old woman say was dying of cancer of the face She said, you know, I hate to go before the Lord looking like this. But how beautiful it is to have all the senses cleansed as we go before the Lord. This is a beautiful sacrament. It throws out a bridge between earth and heaven. And over it we walk in our human weakness. The sadness of our suffering is wedded to the yearning for God. Joy and sadness meet. And if you would know what joy this sacrament gives, you would only have to go with us priests into the sick room and see us as we minister to the dying. Pray that you may never die without
0: the sacrament. You are listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. I'm your host, Al Smith, and I want to thank you for joining me for this week's edition of Bishop Sheen Presents. As I mentioned earlier to you, our good friends at Sophia Institute Press are offering a 25% discount on all of their books when you use the promo code SHEEN25 upon checkout. Their website is sophiainstitute.com, And our good friends at Tan Books are offering a 15% discount on all of their books to our Radio Maria friends, and their promo code is Sheen, just the word Sheen, when you check out. And of course, a great selection of Sheen books on Amazon uh, through our good friends at Bishop Sheen Today. And speaking of Bishop Sheen Today, there is their website of bishopsheentoday.com, and there you'll find hundreds of videos audio recordings and books all at a click of a mouse. And so, again, everything Fulton shame. Look forward to seeing you again next week. And until that time, may the good Lord continue to bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord look upon you kindly and bring you peace. God love you.